Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. My name is Brooke. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. Andrea here, and I'm really excited to talk to her. Um, I was actually live with you guys on the KSTS Diaries Facebook page before. Yeah. That was really fun. So if you have never seen their Facebook page, I'll link it in the description. It's really cool. Um, Yeah. So I will let you talk a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself. Sure. So um, if you don't know me, I'm Andrea Horner. I live here in Kansas. I live on the Kansas. Um, it's very important to be specific because we share states with Kansas and Missouri. Um, but I live on the Kansas side of the Kansas City metro. But I just say I'm from Kansas City. Um, but specifically, I live in Lenexa, which is a suburb in, in Kansas, um, in the Kansas side of the metro so I live in the I live in Kansas City I by day am a pharmacy technician Um, I work with um, IVIG therapies um, and I work with one of the larger um, insurance groups and I work for the pharmacy benefit manager as part of that and I also do Taekwondo and (laughs) um, so that's my uh, by night, uh, I do Taekwondo training. Um, and then I also try and, and do awareness and some advocacy here locally and then through um, Facebook and all that with uh, for Turner Syndrome. So I started the KCTS Diaries um, myself um, and then uh, two of the other girls that live in the same area, um, Amanda and Heidi, join me. Um, and uh, Brooke has joined us and been on a couple of our broadcasts and um, kind of monitoring kind of monitoring the page and stuff so uh, working with her on that um, but we, we did take a little hiatus but we're working on some stuff and, and working on coming back um, but yes uh, we have the KCTS Diaries page and then I wrote a book it's called Beauty for Ashes and uh, so that's basic to, to um, introduce myself (laughs) yeah so okay and I knew I was gonna say it wrong because I always remember the names wrong so I knew it was Kansas City but I said KS instead of KC go figure (laughs) a lot of people do I'm horrible at remembering that stuff so um okay I would love to hear your story of getting diagnosed and um, are you classic or mosaic? So interestingly enough, um, so as far as when I got diagnosed, I was diagnosed at four years old. Um, My, I come from a very tall family um, and by tall, most of everybody in my family is six feet or taller. Um, My mom is still slightly under six foot, but um, she's, fairly tall herself. So I started dropping off um, the growth curve probably about a year old 
So my mom was wondering what was going on about the time I turned a year old. So she spent some time, and at that time we were living in Kansas City. Um, she spent some time um, taking me to area children's hospitals to get tested. Um, they found nothing wrong. Um, and then one of the things that happened was my uh, adopted, or he would be my adopted dad, my first stepdad at the time, um, <clears throat> he got a job offer that took us to Houston. And so I was officially diagnosed um, by the time I hit, uh, when I was four years old at, at Texas Children's, when they actually did the karyotype test, which is one of the few things that they didn't do in Kansas City. Um, so uh, at that time, my mom was given the rundown of all the bad things. Um, she's not going to be able to drive. She won't be able to throw a frisbee. She, you know, is probably going to have to live in a group home because they didn't think I would be independent enough to either live with my parents or um, that they thought I'd have to live with my parents or in a group home. And so, <clears throat> um, and I was diagnosed in, in the 80s. And so, information was even worse back then. <laughs> um, and so they thought that I was going to be um, also mentally delayed, um, learning delayed. So I was held back um, a year after my kindergarten year. Um, and so my mom through that whole time was, uh, she had a process of blaming herself. Like she was like, what did I do um, to bring this on to her? And what do I do to help me. Um, and my mom, she decided that she wasn't going to listen to the doctors um, to a certain extent. She didn't want to just be like, oh, well, she's not going to be able to drive and things like that. She's like, I'm going to work with her um, because I, I don't think that that's the case. And she spent a lot of time trying to work with me on stuff. And she's like, you know, if I have to get a chair, if I have to get a step stool, if I have to um, you know, jump in the dryer to change my, to change the wash. My mom was going to start getting me to learn how to do things so I could be independent. And so my mom never let me make an excuse like, oh, I'm too short to get the dishes, get a step stool, bring it over and figure out how to get some dishes down or put them up, help me out. Um, so my mom didn't want me to um, let that be an excuse. And she knew that as I got older, you know, it was going to be difficult. And she wanted me to learn how to be able to advocate for myself and be able to adapt and defend myself. So um, that's what, what she did when I first got diagnosed. She was like, she had her, her time where she grieved and felt bad and was upset and trying to figure out the whole thing. And then she was like, okay, well, I'm going to try and do what I can to, um, give her the best possible um, future. So she made me very independent. Um, so now I'm, I'm pretty stubbornly independent. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, so that, that's basically um, initially when I first got diagnosed, you know, my mom was upset and she went through all those emotions and trying to figure out what, um, what to do and, and what happened. And then she's just like, well, we're gonna take it a day at a time um, initially when I was diagnosed, they didn't have any, um, treatment. They didn't start, start me on growth hormone right away because they had stopped the growth hormone that they've been using. And then eventually, um, through Texas Children's, I was put on a, on a clinical trial or not a clinical trial, but, um, 
there was a group of, of TS girls that were put into this um, trial where it helped, where I was able to get my growth hormone um, at a much um, cheaper rate <laughs> um, and provided, I mean, provided for us. So it was, I was basically part of a study um, so they can monitor how effective the growth hormone, this new growth hormone was um, and how we were responding to it. So um, that's, and awesome. that's a different story in and of itself as that went on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very cool. So mm -hmm. the karyotype, were you classic or mosaic? So the karyotype. So when I got diagnosed, they diagnosed me as mosaic. Okay. Um, and then I got myself retested uh, um, when I set myself up with an endocrinologist here in Kansas City because I didn't have access to those records. And then what I did have, the karyotype wasn't in with my medical records. So I wanted to make sure that I had something official. Um, and so my endocrinologist retested me. And that said, uh, that said classic. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So initially I thought that I was mosaic type, but then, um, most likely I'm classic. So yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have been hearing more and more about like, I don't know if you watched any of the videos that the Turner syndrome society put up on their channel on YouTube, but one of them talks about a well, one of the doctors talks about how um, their colleague believes that every woman or girl that's alive with Turner syndrome has mm -hmm. even just the slightest bit mosaic in order to have survived. Mm -hmm. And there's more science I'm seeing where like, depending where they test or how they test, you could test yeah. differently. Yeah. And I think it's an, a matter of, um, I don't know if it's the cells that they capture at the time when they do the draw or whatever, but when I was at the last um, conference in uh, Denver, um, there was a session where the doctor was actually talking about that. And I found it fascinating because she was talking about that same thing where, you know, some, um, some of the girls may be diagnosed as classic, but at some level, we all have some level of mosaicism. And I don't know exactly, um, and I wanna get more into behind that because I, I found that very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she was talking like some have, some of us have different levels of mosaicism, but she was saying that at some, at some level, we all have some mosaicism. And yeah, yeah. I find that very interesting. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. as somebody who's classic myself, Mm -hmm. And until we had karyotyping done, me and my mom were like, I've got to be mosaic. I yes. have, I have such slight features of it. I've got to be mosaic. And then the test both times was very clear. I was classic and we're like, okay. Yeah. So that's, oh gosh, that's so interesting. I would and love. I'm the same way because mo majority of my features really aren't typical of classic. So yeah. I, it's very, it's, I mean, it's very slight. And so I was kind of surprised too. I was like, huh. That's 
so yeah so interesting i love hearing all about that type of thing yeah yeah okay so you have gone to the conference how many times i feel like quite a few i've been to three okay mm-hmm. what have your experiences at the conference been um so my experiences have been really positive um so i went to my first one was the one in dallas and then um i went to the one in kansas city is in my own backyard so how could i not yeah. um <laughs> uh, so i went to the one in kansas city um and then i went to the one in denver um and they all were really positive they were, um now some of the breakout sessions um you know, are, are great, but I love just getting a chance to see everyone, see the girls and be able to hang out, have fun. Um, and I like that because, you know, it's just great to be with, with friends and, and girls that understand you, you know, and, um, you, you can be yourself, you know, and feel like it's a sisterhood. So, um, that's what I really love about it. But there's, but I have a medical nerd side of myself. And so there's some good, there's some good um, sessions. And especially the one in Denver had some ones that were interesting. Uh, now in Kansas City, there was some over the same like topics that I um, have been to like before and stuff that I know, but the, the social aspect really getting to see everybody um, is so much fun. And then, um, they all, for me had different, <laughs> different experiences. Like in Kansas city, I also had my crowning, um, cause I was doing, I was doing pageants. Um, I've taken cool. a little pageants, but yes, I've done pageants too. Um, I bring forward some wear crowns. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I, um, got crowned as Miss Kansas for the Regency International, um, pageant, um, system. I got crowned as Miss Kansas. Um, at uh, the conference they they let me do it and it was right around the time of the conference so I was like would I be able to have this done at the conference and so I was able to with all the girls there and I thought it'd be a great thing to just kind of a positive moment and encourage other girls to be able to you know do something that they want to you know chase after you know what I mean and yeah I was like um let me do my crowning at um the Kansas City one. So that was one of my memories there. Um, I would say probably the most impactful and life-changing for me um, was the one in Dallas. That was my first one. And do you know Debbie Brown? Are you familiar with Debbie Brown and Leaping Butterfly Ministries? I am. Um, I have not talked with her a ton, but I am familiar with a lot of their ministry. Okay. So Um, she had written her first book and, um, at that time I had just self-published my book and I, through, uh, Facebook connected with, um, uh, Emily, who is good friends with Debbie and was helping her with her ministry. And she said, you should meet Debbie because she also wrote a book. So then she connected me to Debbie while, um, she sponsored me. Um, through Leaping Butterflies, she sponsored me to go to my first conference. Oh, wow. Yes. And Debbie has, Debbie had a daughter who um, uh, had Turner syndrome that she found out she had TS when, when she was nine, um, okay. her daughter. And um, at, I believe she was 28 um, 
I believe that's when she was, yeah, or slightly before she turned 28, she had a aortic dissection and um, she wound up uh, surviving, but unfortunately developed. And so uh, Debbie, um, I was learning all that and I read her book and um, she wanted to sponsor me because uh, I'd never been to a conference at that point. And so she um, sponsored my way to the conference. And while I was at the conference, I had never um, prior to that, even when I was younger, um, never had my heart checked ever. And every time my heart was listened to, it was always fine. Always sounded great. EKGs always normal. The doctors never had any problems and never stepped in anything. And I was, and when I found out, I was kind of surprised that my endocrinologist who specifically worked with TS patients, TS women, would have probably done more due diligence because he did everything else, mm -hmm. but never checked my heart. Um, and then when I was in my 20s, I started developing um, high blood pressure, really high blood pressure. And I don't know that it's still related, but um, the high blood pressure, like nurses had been looking at me and were like, why are you, why is your blood pressure this high? Um, and they just, I mean, they didn't do anything other than that, but it should have bought me a ticket to um, at least an echocardiogram. Yeah. But it never did. And I didn't think to push for it at the time. Um, I just trusted my endocrinologist. And so at this conference, though, they were doing the healthy heart studies and Dr. Silverbach was starting these echocardiograms. So the girls could get free, at least free echocardiograms at the conference, which is huge, which is, I mean, immensely great. And yeah. Debbie was helping um, as far as through um, Leaping Butterflies, helping support these echo, like the cost of, of these echocardiograms. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so while I was there, I thought, you know what? I'm going to just have one. I didn't really think anything of it. But I was like, you know what? It's a free echocardiogram, probably good just to have one and no. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought everything was going to be normal, fine, no problem. But I'm laying on the bed and I see that look that goes on the technician's face when they see something that they don't like and something's a problem and they mm -hmm. get that look, but they can't tell you. Yeah. And I'm looking and I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, something's not right. Uh, but I knew enough something to know that something was wrong, but I didn't know what was wrong, but she kept going over a certain spot. And, um, she then said, um, I forget how strong you girls are. Oh like, yeah. Yeah, we are. And she was like, I'm going to need you to, um, go out into the waiting room and then, uh, the doctors, uh, I could get one of the doctors to go out and talk to you. Mm -hmm. I, at that point started freaking out yeah. because I knew what that was going to mean. And I was like, what is going on? And I was like, holy cow. I was like, something's not right. Um, I thought she was just like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, familiar with like, yeah, we all, I mean, she's seen you know, done these echocardiograms. So she's seen girls with, you know, complex issues and stuff. So um, she went and got the pediatric cardiologist that was working with Dr. Silverbach. I could hear them talking in the room and I couldn't quite make out what they were saying, but I knew they were talking. 
And then she went and got Dr. Silverback. And Dr. Silverback came out and told me, and that's when he told me that they found a corruption in my descending aorta. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I mean, gone all this time and never known that. And I was just like, I had just met Debbie, just heard the story of her daughter and thinking, wow, what if I had had a dissection and had no clue? And I, I'm single, I'm living on my own. I'm like, I could have been in my apartment and just been doing something and then and, and, uh, had a dissection, you know? And yeah. I like, could have, yeah, I mean, I had never known. And even today, if that had not happened, I probably wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. Because I had no, no real symptoms. Yeah. Um, which is a crazy thing. And so that was, that was huge. So that was life-changing for me. Um, at that time, it felt like an anvil dropped on my head. I was like, what is going on? Um, cause I had no idea how bad it was. And you know, um, but thankfully I was like, I was telling myself, I'm like, okay, if Dr. Silverbach lets me leave and head back to Kansas city, things are okay. It's not that bad. Cause Dr. Silverbach, if, if it was emergent, he was, going to tell me to go to the nearest hospital mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so he didn't tell me that so I was like okay so I had to come back and I had to start um looking for a cardiologist and um doing more follow-up to figure out what needed to happen and um so I came back and I had a like a full um, cardiac MRI and then I found a good cardiologist through KU so I was like if I'm gonna have to have heart surgery and trust somebody to um, to that, I'm gonna find a really good thoracic surgeon. So um, we have a, fortunately through KU here, we have a great cardiac program. So I have a good cardiologist, but thankfully, because um, initially when I had my scan, they were saying that, because um, they found out, not only do I have the coarctation, that's when I found out I also have slightly an enlarged um, right subclavian artery okay pushing slightly um on my esophagus um so he finally examined like through the i mean he examined the dimensions and everything like that and fortunately for me it's a very my my core occupation the um the enlargement uh i think that's above it is very slight like the it's like less than even two it's like 1.5 centimeter something like that okay very, yeah very yeah. slight so he doesn't even have to do any medical intervention at this point um so and then if anything needs to be done he's thinking i could probably get by with having um a stent but um right now he's saying like blood flow and everything looks good and he thinks that now as an adult there's not going to be any change like I'm not growing or anything like that. So he doesn't think that there's going to be any changes as long as I can keep my blood pressure and stuff under control. But that was, I mean, that was huge to find out. Like, but I mean, it's amazing how all of that worked out. Um, and, you know, I felt a little bit of survivor's guilt thinking about Debbie's daughter and what she went through. Yeah. And that Debbie was the one that helped me find this out. Because like, if it weren't for her, yeah, to this day, I've been on it. Yeah. So first, um, I think it cut out when you were finishing the story about her daughter. So mm -hmm. you said she survived the the dissection. Yes. But there was other complications after? Yes. 
so she developed after the surgery, um, she developed um, a staph infection, it turned out. And oh. so she had to go back into the hospital because where the surgery was, it was like all in through um, her chest, I believe. Um, oh. And so they had to go in and try and get it um, taken care of. And she was finally at the point where I think the next day they, they were gonna clear her to go home. Okay. Like she had to be in the hospital for months while they um, tried to get right get try to get the infection cleared out. Um, and so she she was um, uh, yeah about ready to be discharged finally. And yeah, she was sitting up in bed, um, and a blood clot hit her lung. Oh wow! And it was like instant. They tried to work on her, um, but yeah. They, they couldn't um, bring her back. So, because it was pretty instantaneous. Yeah. yeah. That's so scary. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest lesson, because I've heard you tell your story of, you know, everything had looked fine until you went to the conference and just thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'll just get another checkup while mm-hmm. I'm here. Why not? Yeah. And then you find that out. And it just, for me, it really hit home with symptoms or not get checked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's scary. Idle with, well, everything's been fine up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never know. And that's why I try and and encourage um, girls to get the cardiac. I mean, trust me, they're not cheap at all. I just, I just got done with, with mine. Um, And no, they are not cheap, even with insurance. But I think even if you can take advantage of even the echocardiogram at conference where um, that's being paid for, yeah, that opportunity, you know, I, I think it's always good to at least have some awareness and some um, level as to your, you know, to what your baselines are, because yeah. you never know, you never know. Um, and we we recently started um, a uh, clinic for adult PS women, which I'm hoping that more of those become available um, throughout the states. Um, so we have access because it's so hard to find doctors. And like, you know, I had a, a, a regular, you know, um, and you know, just a regular care doctor, family practice doctor, right? And um, would not have caught any of this. I mean, that's who I, like when I, when I was a kid, I had an endocrinologist who specialized in PS. And then what happens, I think for us as adults is we become adults, we take on our own care and then it's like, great, good luck. You know, like I didn't have any like specialists. I didn't know anyone that was familiar with TS. Um, like I even, like I went to, a family doctor when I, I got back from college and I was trying to, to get a doctor back here in Kansas City and she didn't even want to prescribe the hormones that I take. Wow. That's she didn't even feel comfortable with that. But in the long run I'm thankful that she did that because I was like, okay, fine. Um I will find another doctor. But I also found an endocrinologist here that's really great that works with um adult and uh girls who are with TS. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, thankfully her doing that, I was like, okay, great. (laughs) So I found another primary care and then I, I found, um, my, uh, endocrinologist Dr. Midyat, but, um, I, I would not, I mean, like none of them thought they'd be like, oh, well, your blood pressure is high. Wonder why? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I can only, I, I try and be like, Hey, this is what I know. This is what I dealt with. These are things I don't have, but I'm like, you know, y'all need to let me know if you're, you're saying things. And I, I should have questioned that more, but I, I always thought, cause I trusted my endocrinologist as a kid. I was like, I assumed that he probably knew enough to know that I was fine. So I didn't think I had anything going on as far as cardiac. And I thought I was fortunate in that regard. And in a way I still am, but I'm like, now as an adult, I mean, like, I was just like, I was by my, I was by myself because the other girls were in a uh, meeting, in a meeting. And I'm like, I'm not around my family and I'm by myself and I'm finding out that I have a genetic heart condition. And yeah. like, wow. <laughs> so, you know, but I just, I think it's really important, but thankfully now I, I do have a doctor, but I'm like, we have to do a lot of our own self-advocating, but I think the clinics help. So then you can have different specialties and, and have the cardiac specialty and, you know, at least every few years, like if nothing's wrong, like, you know, go, you know, go another, you know, five years and then get checked. But yeah, I mean, it can change in an instant. And her story is one of those moments too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So how frequently are you getting EKGs or cardiac MRIs right now? Um, once a year. Uh, so actually this year, it, it had been once a year. So actually this year, um, my uh, doctor told me that as far as long as everything looks good, um, he thinks I can go every two years. Which, oh, that's thank awesome. Goodness. Yeah, because paying for one of those bad boys every year is yeah, a little pricey. But um, uh, yeah, so I was able to, um, I, I'm able to now go two years, thankfully. So. And what's the name of the Turner Syndrome Clinic in Kansas City? So we have a pediatric one, which is a great height. Um, and then the adult one, um, I don't know if they have an official name. It's just the um, KU Adult Women's Turner Syndrome Clinic because um, we, we do it through KU um, because the, uh, my cardiologist, he's the, basically he's the one that's um, uh, in charge or one of the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does all the cardiac work, but he's, he's really the sponsor um, at least on as far as the doctors. And then we have um, two um, primary care doctors that work along with them and they do more of the primary care. And they, you know, they're they there that if we want to go through them for medication and things like that, if they want us to um, want them to handle our prescriptions or whatever, that they're there for that. Because um, some of the girls don't have a primary care to do that. Um, I do, but they're, they're great. And they're learning. They've done, um, clinics for, um, she, uh, 
one of the main primary care doctors did a clinic for um, Down's patients. So she knows the oh, format. Cool. Yeah, but she's not as familiar with Turner syndrome. So she's learning a lot, um, but she's really cool. We have audiology. So we have an audiology team. Um, and then it, hopefully we'll be able to get like them. Um, That's awesome. uh, another doctor on board as well. Um, but yeah, so we, and we can get like uh, the DECA scans and all of that in at one time now. That's awesome. So we can take one day off work and, and get whatever scans and stuff done that we need. So. Yeah, all of the screenings just. <laughs> yes. It's very cumbersome, yeah. but I always yeah. feel better after I finish them because I'm like, yes, yeah. I'm good. I know what's going on and that's done. Exactly. And, exactly. Oh gosh. It yeah. is it is quite the feeling going through all of them because especially, I don't know about for you, but the cardiac MRI, not only is it not a cheap thing, but it's an intense process. Yeah. yeah. It can be like a whole experience going through that one. It's so much more intense than an echo or the blood work. Yeah, it is. It is. And I don't know who's had one and who's not, but I remember the first one that I got with him um, and they put me through the MRI machine. You know, I, I did okay at first, but it's like being squeezed through a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> it's so claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. um, but fortunately, I was able to listen to music, but it, it's intense and you're laying there and you have to listen for their breathing commands and it's just, it's a whole thing. And you have that, like, I mean, they do it with contrast. So it's like, you know, you have to go through that. And so they had to do whole bunch of images and then they put in the contrast and then do images with contrast and it was like 45 minutes of being in there and the noise the, the machines make it's awful are awful uh, this year though um i fortunately was able to do it more echocardiogram style um they just had me lay on the table so i didn't have to go through the machine i just got to lay on the table and they did did it basically an echocardiogram essentially and then put in dye so that's cool so much better so yeah much better yes so i'm hoping that they'll be that he'll keep doing that because uh, i mean it is super intense yeah i've um, had i think total i've had three done i had one when i was 21 and then i had one when we started seeing a reproductive endocrinologist mm-hmm and then I had another one to update that one. The first two were done with contrast and the last one was not. And oh man, it was, <laughs> I never had an MRI for anything before that. I should yeah. have my knee, but that's a whole other story. But it was, gosh. They and are I, intense. They are. They're intense. And if you're like, I'm pretty claustrophobic. If if you're more claustrophobic than me, I oh my gosh, yeah, I yeah. can't imagine. Yeah, um, fortunately, I mean, I'm I'm a little claustrophobic, but yeah, I'm like if I had been any more claustrophobic, I I I would have probably had to be like, you have to get me out of here. I'm like, you're gonna have to get me out of this thing, because I remember I was I 
was laying there and I was doing good. And then she came in to check because she was about to, to put in the contract. And I asked her, okay, how much longer? And it already felt like I'd been in there forever. And she goes, it's maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, okay, okay. But I was started thinking about that and I just wanted to cry. I yeah. started like, I'm like, okay, I can't cry. That's not going to help me because it's going to make things worse. Yeah. I'm like, don't cry, Andrea. But I, I was about, I was about to um, go into a slight panic attack because I'm like, I am, I'm like, I just need to get out. out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, hang in there just a little bit longer. But yeah, I was like, I didn't know if I could do that again this year. I was like, I talked to Dr. Midia. I was like, for um, Mulhern. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. But um, fortunately, he um, he was like, yeah, if we can do it with, with Di, then we'll do the echocardiogram. Yeah. Like, okay. I know Power. The, echoes, the echoes have never been an issue for me. Like, yeah. it honestly was really fun hearing my heartbeat. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I do have to yeah. say that that is kind of cool. Yeah. It yeah. was the MRI is that it's, it's so intense and it feels really intimidating. Mm -hmm. And then the pressure mm -hmm. of like, okay, I have to make sure I listen to the commands and follow them properly. And like yeah. that can feel intimidating. And then you're like, I don't want to screw this up and have to be in here any longer than I need to. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm hoping that they're getting everything that they need. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I am a major advocate of you need to be a self advocate because yeah, yeah. everybody's so different and not all doctors have the same experience. And mm -hmm. I mean, I had on a much smaller scale, my, <laughs> my endo that I had when I first moved and had to get a new endo actually ignore that my stomach was hurting when I took my HRT and just brushed it off like it was in my head. Oh. And I'm like, come to find out my liver levels were through the roof. Ah. Uh, and yeah. that was why I talked to my OB and or my yeah, she was an OBGYN, but obviously mm -hmm. I was seeing her for gynecology. Um and she looked it up and she goes, oh yeah, this is way higher of estrogen than you need. And that's like one of the first things is it'll hurt your stomach if it's too much. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. Why did somebody that's supposed to be working with girls with Turner syndrome using this stuff not have that red flag for them then? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, I, I really, I wish that, I mean, because that's something that I want to do and find a way to help get more education into the medical community because yeah. even, I mean, even doctors who have some familiarity with Turner syndrome just short, sort of brush that stuff under the rug a mm -hmm. little bit. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. How your body is feeling and what your mm -hmm. body is trying to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I'm telling you something's not right, like something's not right. Listen to me. Yeah. Something's yeah. not right. Yeah. yeah. 
don't just act like you're fine you're fine yeah meanwhile who knows what could be happening that you're not addressing and how much longer it's going to continue because of that mm -hmm. exactly exactly oh. yeah. yeah so are the echoes happening at every conference now is that every year they do that i think every other conference okay i think is what they're doing yeah um if i understand correctly i the last one the last conference that i was at was at denver so it's been now a couple of years so um i hopefully will go to a conference next year but they canceled it obviously yeah this year which is sad um but i'm I was planning on going to Scotland. Oh, cool. The international conference in Scotland. When is um, that, or was that scheduled for? In July. Okay. July. Yes. And so they haven't officially canceled it yet, but it's sort of now we're in a holding pattern of, yeah. we'll find out more beginning of March as far as that goes. Um, but yes, um, there's, me and two other girls i think maybe one one other so me and, and three other girls but um myself and, and one of one of the girls um we're flying together so me and, and um, my friend amanda we're flying together um okay. and then we're going to meet up with the other girls once we get there very cool. but i think i think there's going to be three to four of us here from kansas city that will be there if we can still go <laughs> yeah uh, but when they canceled the state's conference, did all of that get shifted to online or is it just done completely? I I think it's done completely unless they decide to to try and do something online. Okay. Yeah. I, wasn't, I couldn't remember if there had been anything said about possibly having some of the sessions still happen over the internet. Yeah, I have to look at that because I think, you know, that would be a good opportunity. Then it, I mean, yeah. You know, you can't be there, but at least it's, some, you know, it's something where people can still kind of be a part. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, you have technology. Why not? So. Yeah, exactly. And there's mm -hmm. so many things that are now being shifted to online. It's a yeah. great opportunity to add that to the list and. Yeah. Make it yeah. even more available to people who wouldn't have been able to fly there if it hadn't been. Right. Yeah. Um, so I hope that they do that. I'm going to have to try and keep tabs on what they put out. And if they're going to do that, I think that would be a good opportunity. So yeah, who knows? Cause even more might be able to join in and be a part of that, that wouldn't have been able to fly out there. So yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So is, is the heart issues, the thing that you feel like has affected you the most with Turner syndrome? Um, I would say in the last few years, um, it's been one of them. Um, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be honest where I say like, you know, I deal with a little bit of survivor's guilt at times because, you know, we've lost some of the girls in the TS community that have had, um, complications from, you know, different heart related issues, um, yeah. that have passed. And, so I can't say that it doesn't hit me at times. And, um, you know, I mean, it's scary whether you're single or not, but I can't say that it doesn't at times 
kind of shake me a little bit when I think about, um, and right now I don't worry, but I start thinking about too. I'm like, well, what if I'm single when I'm older, you know, and something happens, um, or even just being by myself, I'm like, how is somebody going to know if something does happen? How long is it going to take for them to find me? I mean, am I even going to be able to have a chance to at least, you know, dial 911? Because I mean, you know, especially if it's a dissection that's happening, I mean, you know, I may or may not be able to do that for myself. And so it's scary to think about how am I, you know, I mean, like, obviously, if, if like something emergent's happening, I may not even be able to drive at that moment. So I can't just drive myself to a hospital. What if I can't dial 911 and try and get help? Um, you know, or have a friend come and take me. Um, so those are things that I think about being, being single and living on my own. I'm like, what if something like that happens? Knowing yeah. that, you know, um, right now there's a, a slight, but you know, I mean, it's a very slight potential because I'm, I'm doing good, but you know, that can change at any point in time. And it, so it, it does, I, points hit me and especially when there's something going on um you know cardiac related with one of the girls um and I I do I feel very fortunate that um you know I haven't been in an emergent situation I feel very fortunate that I was able to find out before that even happened um but it's still scary to think about I'm like what if I'm just you know here alone in my apartment and something happens like yeah. you know how do I advocate for myself even like if I can't communicate like who's going to advocate for me that's the other thing I think about I'm like do I have somebody that can if I'm in a, in a situation where I'm not going to be able to advocate for myself do they know enough to be able to help me advocate for me yeah and, like know what you want people to do mm -hmm. yeah. so I'm thinking about stuff to do I put notes in my phone too um of you know like hey this is a doctor to take me to this is where I want you to take me to stuff like that and then you know there's a few people that I'm going to communicate like things like that too yeah. um but still if I can't call or something it's going to be difficult but at least somebody finds me hopefully they check my phone um and see that information in there um but I've tried to communicate with some friends I'm like if somebody calls you um you know this is what you need to tell them this is where I need to go you know um, please make sure, you know, that kind of stuff, but it's, it's a little, it's a little intimidating, a little scary. So that is a factor, but I will say one of the things that, um, has been difficult on an emotional level besides the cardiac stuff and even more than the cardiac stuff is the infertility issue. Yeah. Um, because, uh, so I'm going to, be honest here like I don't know if you've heard of um CR um but I go to a Christian group that's called Celebrate Recovery oh yeah um, okay and one of the things that I've been trying to work through is because I have a lot of anger that I have not dealt with um when it comes to the infertility issue because um there's a little bit of anger that I have towards being single mm -hmm. at this point um and not only still being single and having to like I feel like sometimes great I gotta be single and deal with this on my own I don't have a, a partner with me to help me and, and just you know kind of walk through this stuff with I have to 
take on this on my own. Mm -hmm. And I mean, not that I don't have friends and stuff like that, but I'm like, kind of different than when you have, you know, a friend and spouse and, and your partner going through it with you. Yeah. Um, and I don't have that. I mean, I have great friends and people around me, but at the same time, you know, when you come home at the end of the day, you just, you know, want some, someone that you can trust and cry or whatever. I don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, um, <laughs> it's hard to get some of that, some of that, like, off because I don't have somebody to talk about some of those feelings with and stuff. And, you know, it, it does leave me, um, sometimes frustrated. Um, like I would like to, you know, um, have a family. I would like to be able to be married. Um, and I have since I was five, um, and my mom talked to me about the, um, uh, possibly that I wouldn't be able to have kids. So my mom was pregnant with my brother and I was starting to ask questions. I was five years old. And at the time, um, I saw my mom pregnant and I was looking at her belly and I was like, so you mean I won't have to look like that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing that I share in my book, but really that's how I thought about it as a kid. I was like, Oh good. I can, <laughs> I'm like, that sounds great. And I can just adopt and I don't have to have, have the pain of childbirth because I don't have a high pain tolerance anyway. So, you know, I'm good there. I don't like, I'm like, I can adopt a kid. That sounds great for me. And I always felt like God put that on my heart. And, and I always felt like that was going to be what God wanted for me is to adopt a child. And, um, you know, I have been working to try and put myself in a place that even as a single parent, which is going to make it even difficult, more difficult. I'm like, do I, do I pursue adoption as a single parent on my own or do I wait? And I'm like, I keep waiting, thinking I'm going to marry and, and we can adopt together. And, and my husband's probably still lost looking for directions. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's been, it's been emotional. Um, I'm like, do I, I mean, because trying to, to do it single, um, I'm like, am I ready for that challenge? Cause it's, it's just a challenge just to deal with like my, my own. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, would it be fair? Cause I want to, you know, I want to provide the best environment and, and, and have it be, you know, fair, um, and be able to give my best to a child that I would bring in. Um, and so I'm weighing, weighing that, um, and, and deciding what I'm going to do. But I always hope that I'd be married and then we could adopt. But um, I don't know if that's going to happen. So it's a lot of praying and deciding what the right thing would be to do. Um, because now sort of the time for me to, to do that if I'm going to do it. But um, okay. And just as a little bit of encouragement to you, um, I know there are a lot of girls that I've talked to that they have that same experience mm -hmm. uh, being frustrated with being single and um, feeling the struggle of that. And I felt that struggle before I was not in that situation anymore. Um, I very much was like, I'm never going to be, this is awful. And I was very much in that struggle and I know how hard that can be. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of other 
ladies that deal with that same struggle. And I just talked to um, Amy from Life of Amy Turner Syndrome. Oh. Mm -hmm. And she adopted as a single mom two kids through foster care. Wow. Yeah, we have... um, That was an incredible story to hear. Yeah. Um, We have um, one of of the ladies um, in our group here. Uh, She recently now... um, you know, she has a good relationship with her mom and her mom's around to help a lot. But um, one of the girls here locally, she also adopted. Um, and she adopted three kids as a single mom. So oh, I was wow. like, bless you for doing that. I'm like, <laughs> that is a huge responsibility. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you go. <laughs> but yeah, she, she adopted three kids at one time as a single parent. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that so, was- like from zero to three yes that would be a lot yes yes so um so I was so happy and excited for and and stuff like that does encourage me um my parents though they live in Texas so they're a little bit further away um Mm -hmm. I'd love for them to be around because I mean I would have to work is that and that's the biggest challenge is trying to balance um their needs and then also being able to work so I can provide because I would have to work still. Yeah. Um, and I, and I want my kids, like if I adopt, I want them to be homeschooled. So those are options too, that I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, how do I get them homeschooled and stuff? But yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to work. So a lot to think through, but yeah. Um, you know, that's definitely, I mean, it's been emotional just trying to work through, some of that so it's not as much of a burden but yeah it's it's definitely I mean it's a very emotional thing I think for a lot of us women um yeah and I think I think going through everything for us with foster care has just really taught me this is going to be something I'm processing Mm -hmm. probably till the day I die yeah yeah it's just always going to be something I'm working through grieving and the emotions of yeah that's ever gonna go away yeah Yeah. which sounds like a bit of a downer but (laughs) it's just a little bit of uh, it it freed me to like okay I don't have to instantly be okay Mm -hmm. I am allowed to feel however I'm feeling yeah exactly yeah and that's, that's sort of what I had to tell myself too. Um, with all that, I'm like, I'd let myself be okay to feel this and, and, and deal with it. And, um, for so long, I just kind of tried to ignore that. And, um, you know, it's definitely been hard because, you know, it's like when I was, when I was younger, it was, it was a, a lot easier for me to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I had, you know, like, Oh, you know, I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids you know, I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to meet, you know, husband, a good man who's going to want to adopt, um, of course, you know, and then reality happens, and I'm like, yeah, that's not happening quite <laughs> that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's going to happen, right? So, um, uh, tell but, me. Like, I had to readjust. <laughs> huh? The anticipation of having that whole conversation of telling them yeah. And then there's that too. It's like when I do meet somebody every day, I'm like, when do I bring this into the conversation? Yeah. 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 
I was so scared. I can just imagine. Yeah. That was, and then we got through that and I was like, okay. Yeah. I feel like if we got through that part, we can probably get through the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's going to, I mean, to me, that's going to be a big thing. I'm like, okay, like if, if I uh, can get through that, then I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> but yeah. So I have, I'm trusting, you know, God knows that, and, you know, meet somebody that will have the ability to understand. Yeah. Like, if he, you know, if, if, you know, he's the right guy to, you know, move forward with, then, you know, I think you'll understand. So. Yeah. I know I've had girls ask me too, um, you know, how, how do I find somebody that does understand? And it's like, mm -hmm. that, that's not really something you can plan. No, no. You kind of just have to figure out for yourself when the right time for you is to share it with them in your yeah. relationship and how, at what point you feel comfortable opening up like that because it is really intimidating and scary. You feel so vulnerable doing that. Yeah. But the, the hard truth is if they're not going to be understanding, then yeah. you're not who you're meant to go through life with because- yeah. The person you go through life with has to be willing to go through those things with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, not dating is, is hard. And then when you add that into the mix, it just really complicates things and uh, it's definitely not been easy. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think about that anytime I potentially meet somebody I'm like, how am I going to tell, you know, because, um, you know, I never want to feel like I'm going to mislead somebody and then just be like, oh, hey, guess what? Now that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now that we're comfortable with each other, here's yeah. this little fun to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's not one of those things that I just want to be like right away. Um, hey, guess what? But yeah, you know, to me, it would tell a lot about who they are, and and you know, um, if it's something that they're not okay with, then you know, I'm like, I'm like, I have to be okay with like, you know, that's fine. You don't have to be okay with it, but I know that you're not the person for me because yeah, this is my reality, and I need someone that's gonna be able to walk through that. So yeah. Yeah. And that's hard to navigate because emotionally, yeah, it can be so tough. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's, it's tough on both sides of it. You know, it's tough for us and it's tough for the guy yeah. we're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I so. mean, and I try and understand that because I'm like, I'm like, I know what essentially I'm, I'm telling you. And it's like, I hate to have to do that. I'm like, I, that's the last thing I want to do because it's hard for me to even say it for myself. And, and, yeah. and like, you know, um, it hurts. I mean, you know, it's a reality that hurts and, and you have to be able to agree with it. And I'm like, it's not going to be any easier. Um, yeah. you know, telling 
you know, this guy that I'm looking at marrying or that I care about. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's a hard conversation to have. And I think it's one of the hardest things that I think we as CS women have to go through is dealing with, with that and navigating that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. On top of everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On top of everything else. Like, there wasn't enough. I was <laughs> that, that list that pops up on yeah. Google or mm-hmm. Mayo Clinic of all of the things, y- you, you kind of have all of those emotional struggles tapped into one thing. And it's like, oh, no. They've got yeah. a bunch of branches off of that. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways. I know. I know. Like, that's just, that's just, like, barely scratching, like, the surface. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, the kind of last thing that I've been yeah. asking everybody is the theme for this year's Awareness Month uh-huh. was Be Uniquely You. Right. So, what does that mean to you? Um, so be uniquely you, um, to me, that means, um, really not being, I mean, don't be afraid to be who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I still struggle with it. Um, but just being confident in who you are. And as, as a Christian, I believe, you know, God created us all, um, uh, to be, you know, unique and fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and um, when you think about the butterfly, each one is different, you know, the color from their colors and all of them are just so, so vastly different. Um, and we share so much in common, but each of us just bring something different. And when you bring it together, you know, as a community, it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's special and it's important. Um, and, um, I think, you know, it's just important to embrace who you are and, and, and know that you're, you know, you're okay. Um, with, you know, we all, I mean, with the imperfections and perfections, like, you know, God makes no mistakes. As me as a Christian, I'm just saying that I believe God makes no mistakes. Amen. So, yes. And so we all, I mean, you know, we all bring something different to the table. We all have a little something that we bring to the table. And then I think when you put it together, it's just such a wonderful thing. So um, I think we just need to be able to, to um, embrace that. I think, you know, sometimes I think we're afraid to a little bit, um, you know, because we deal with so much of the, um, struggles that come with um having turner syndrome but you know we're also you know beautiful and we're also valued um and so not being i mean not being afraid to embrace that and and be like you know what it's i am who i am and you know, it took me a long time to be okay. And I still have those days where I struggle. But I mean, like one of the things that was a profound moment for me is when my mom talked to me about the idea of having leg lengthening surgery. 
Mm. Wow. I'm like, yeah. Um, and when I was younger and I was still growing, I mean, my mom brought this up because she wanted me to have that option. Mm -hmm. And, but when I started thinking about that, I'm just like, why would I go through all of that to be like everybody else? Yeah. I was meant to stand out. I was, I was meant to be who I was and I was meant to be different. And that doesn't have to be bad. No, not at all. You know, and so why would I, in order to try and be, you know, similar to everybody else and go through all that just to do that? I mean, it's one thing for me, like if I thought about it and it would have some medical benefit for me mm-hmm. and it could give me, I mean, a few more inches, sure, that could make things more convenient for me. So I'm like, I was made to be who I was. Yeah. And if I go through all this, that changes that. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to do that? I can be, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I was learning to drive. I'm like, I know I can drive. I know I can get around. I know I can do all this stuff. I can do things. I, I do Taekwondo. I'm about to test for a black belt. That's you so know? cool. <laughs> um, you know, and I did, you know, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I did the pageants too, tie back into that. I'm like, I wanted to show girls that they were, it's not about necessarily just outward beauty, but it's, it's being able to shine in the way that you were meant to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all should embrace our own uniqueness. So that's, that's what I think of. I love that. And I was thinking when you were telling your story about, you know, your mom took the time right after finding out to kind of process that for herself mm-hmm. and grieve. And then she went straight into giving you the encouragement to advocate for yourself, to be stronger than the doctors maybe were expecting you to, and, you know, push you to be all you could be. And I, I absolutely loved that. Yeah. Not in that you need to do more than you're able to, but don't be afraid to be strong and try. And I love that. So I absolutely adored that story. <laughs> like, yes, I love your mom. Oh my gosh. That's that's really awesome. cool. Actually. Um, yeah, she's, she is quite, she is, she's quite the personality. So <laughs> Yeah, if you if, if you gotta see my full personality on display, wait until you see my mom. I mean, she I mean she is fun. She really <laughs> is. So she's pretty cool. I, I I was fortunate to have her to to raise me, but um yeah, she's a lot of fun. <laughs> so you see you'll see where I get my spunk from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know I love that. Yeah. So yeah. okay, well I will link the Facebook page and your book and everything in the comment or in the description box. Do you have anything you wanted to add? Um, well, just to say, I am glad that we had this moment to, to get to chat and, and share this stuff. And I really hope that everyone that, you know, is, is, um, you know, going to see this and listen, um, that hopefully it's encouraging. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate the um, support and um, getting to do this. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for talking to me. I was so excited to find yeah. a time to be able to talk with you. So yeah, um, yeah thank you again. And I will yeah. hopefully talk to you soon. Yep, absolutely. All right. Have a good day. Bye.
Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can find the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brooktv. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out. And I will see you guys in the next episode.